You're listening to Dole Capital. You're with Ben for our occasional segment of Benno's Brief. I'll be talking to you about what's on my mind and hopefully it will either be entertaining, interesting or even motivating for some of you cage-rattling tragics out there. On today's show, train wreck unionism and union elections. But first... We're on Patreon. This show wouldn't be possible without our patrons and supporters who you can show your solidarity at www.patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Dole Capital, D-O-H-K-A-P-I-T-A-L. Please like, share and subscribe to our show and leave a review on your preferred podcast application. A special thanks to our friends and comrades that have helped make this show run for over three years now without your support. Uh, it means a lot in terms of taking the time and energy to put these episodes together and more to come into the future. Your help provides the motivation and resources for us to continue to make content. Before we get going with the show, we're recording on Ngunnawal land and we'd like to pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging whose sovereignty was never ceded, and who we express our solidarity with the struggles to end continuing injustices for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. We encourage listeners to get out and vote yes in the upcoming referendum on the 14th of October 2023 as a step forward for constitutional recognition and locking in a consolidated process for Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander people with the Commonwealth Government. Yes, we'd like to see more out of the referendum, but it is what it is. So let's make sure it happens. You can get behind local campaigning activities in your state or territory. Pretty easy to find online. So um, I'm not going to give you the links there. That's what that is. So, train wreck unionism, what do I mean by that? Well, a couple of things have been catching my attention of late, and I'm probably just picking up on some of the general frustration that's been expressed to me by various union activists around my circle uh, and beyond, and that is we're seeing pretty much almost a refusal by some unions to actually take seriously action against employers to uh, meet the challenges of the cost of living crisis. I'll give you an example. The Community and Public Sector Union is currently kicking off its bargaining and it's been negotiating with the federal, the uh, Commonwealth government over paying conditions for federal public servants. Federal public servants who have had nothing but a wage squeeze squeeze since 2013. The union went in with a log of claims asking for 20% uh, over three years which was completely rejected out of hand by Katie Gallagher, my wonderful local ACT senator, who's now the finance minister, who's continuing that same pattern of, um, well, not really sticking her head out for people who get her elected in the first place, but uh, let's just leave that to a side. So the union has been criticised for its weak positions on pay uh, in the Canberra Times today, but uh, it's been this story is probably bubbling along what's been happening from ACT bargaining, that's ACT public service bargaining, uh, and more. So what do I mean by train wreck unionism? Well, what we've got happening in Australia is there's been a tremendous squeeze on wage growth. And since the change of government, really not much has happened. So I'll give you an example of that. We've got the Australian Bureau of Statistics information for the wage price index in Australia, which measures uh, growth in both the private and the public sectors for wages. And it's not good. 
and it hasn't been good for a very long time. As of the March 2023 quarter, the wage price index increased annually uh, as of March this year by 3.7%. And the, uh, then in the public sector, if you look at that, oh, private's gone up by 3.8%. And then if you look at public, it's gone up by 3%. So despite the fact we've nearly had a, the Albanese government in for two years, wages actually in the public sector continues to be in decline. But it's kind of a bit more worse than that because I mean, we've seen this massive squeeze on public sector pay, particularly in the federal government, but also in state and territory governments for a long time. So if you go all the way back to 2013, and if we talked about 2013 where the coalition, the Conservatives won office, wages have been on a spiral down, down, down and down. There was a slight increase in 19. Uh, mainly due to COVID, but we're talking about, oh, gee, 2.4%. Wow. But it gets gets worse. If you go all the way back to 2010, the wages in uh, public sector in 2010, again, it was a Labor government, that downward trajectory has just continued. And that's basically with a uh, federal parliamentary Labor Party that's been determined to implement neoliberal austerity, uh, no matter uh, when it was last in government, and doing very little there. Uh, they refused to budge on fixing pay disparity in the federal public sector and continuing the, that sort of method in state governments where we've seen rubbish caps placed on pay. So federally, what that meant when the coalition got in in 2013 is placing freezes on pay. So it was very dramatic in the public sector. For example, when COVID hit, in 19, the wages growth in the public sector plummeted uh, from 2.6% in June 2019, all the way down to 1.3% in June 2021. And as uh, many of our listeners would know about that, people I know, uh, it was pretty horrible, this sort of situation where year in, year out for a number of years in the federal public service, the employer turnaround uh, initially offering things like 1% or 1.5%. And then during COVID, offering flat rates at a 2% wages rises, even though inflation, the inflation gun had well and truly kicked off. Wages have been squeezed over the last 10 years. And there's really been bugger all done uh, to stop that. What we um, sort of expect there is on the one hand, it's fair enough to people to be disappointed and pay, place pressure on the Parliamentary Labor Party to do better in government for public sector wages and for wages in general. The caveat there is also we have to give credit where credit is due. It's the first time we've had a government that's actually put in submissions being for increasing wages to the, the lowest paid workers in Australia. And which has seen uh, jumps in the minimum wage, which is positive. We've also seen the government come to halfway positions, still positive for uh, sectors that have historically been the worst pay, mostly female-dominated industries in aged care and disability, for example, where there's been brokering a deal of increasing the wages of uh, of aged care workers and disability workers, which has been very positive. But they're going from a very very small, uh, very low 
baseline there. So despite sort of what looks like pretty good outcomes, 8% and the like, the reality is they're going from a very low base. Now you then apply that to what's been going on federally with the economy. And that March quarter, for example, 3.7%. It's pay cuts time, people. And that's just continuing under the PLP. And it's very disappointing. When we've got inflation running at 6%, we've had the so-called um, the neoliberal idea of having our independent um, Reserve Bank of Australia, which has been determined to just keep raising interest rates, applying pressure to people who are fortunate enough to have a, a loan to try to buy a house. But more to the point, uh, pressure then being passed on to renters. It's been absolutely appalling for many, many working people out there, and the, especially the, the poor out there in terms of keeping up with the cost of living. So that's the background, and that's why I'm pretty ropeable at the response by Australia's trade union leaders. There's very few exceptions I can think of with trade unions actually going in the bat and securing above inflation wage rises and uh, outcomes that are actually meeting the cost of living challenge. Now, with the PLP, we can apply pressure through the Labor Party itself and through campaigning outside of it. But the big thing that's missing here is that the trade unions that are meant to organise uh, in the workplace and empower workers to actually achieve the wishes of those members to actually take action, collective action, to secure wages and conditions for workers are just not uh, doing their end of the bargain. I'm really not sure what the motivation is, but what we've seen has been not really good enough. We've seen lots of talk and there's been an awful lot of talk and there's been uh, campaigns that are about raising awareness about the cost of living and the like, but there's been very, very little action to point to in terms of exercising collective workplace power. Workplace power that has been organised democratically across industries in the private and the public sector. It's been pretty disgraceful, really, and should be a surprise given some of the uh, backgrounds of some of the people currently running the new union bureaucracy. So, next, we need pressure applied to full-timers in the union movement, a blowtorch really, for them to care more about the lives and well-being of their actual members, putting members first, if you like, rather than what we've been seeing is then place their careers and their dreams of getting their ass on leather in some sort of parliamentary uh, outcome, has, which seems to be the pattern with too many trade unions in this country. We have union bureaucrats, and I'll call them bureaucrats because a lot of them have never worked in the industries of the workers that they normally represent. Too many of them are dominated by full-time staffers who've followed that wonderful little train of straight out of university into a trade union and then into a, par a political party functionary role. Don't get me wrong, there's room and there has to be specialists employed by trade unions, but you have a serious problem when you're leadership bodies are dominated by people who've never actually worked in the industry or have incredibly limited work-life experience or a broad set of experiences going on in their lives. And I think Australia's Federal Public Sector Union is a case in point. What we've seen there, that Canberra Times article, and I think it's very clear, is what we're seeing is a betrayal of the members' logger claims. The demands were for a 25% wage rise. The CPSU betted on the federal government, the change of government, to be a lot more generous, considering the amount of financial support 
as well as resources that the CPSU had put into supporting the election of the Albanese government, and it's delivered very, very little. And this says a lot about the priorities of the federal PLP in the one sense, wanting to want on a surplus, uh, still wanting to keep their credentials with the big end of town, and doing very little that would actually cost the bottom line for the 1% or even the 0.5% in this country. And so what we've got is a union leadership that, having not achieved the outcomes that they had hoped, has been is uh, reneging on actually having a, any serious sort of fight back. And not only that, seems to be doing their utmost to ensure that below inflation pay rises are imposed on federal public sector workers yet again. So what do I mean by betraying logger claims? Well, logger claims, like a serious sort of stuff in bargaining, logger claims is where members of the union get together through various forums, both online and corporally, to develop the things they'd like to see improved in the workplace, whether that's better leave, better access to leave, new sort of forms of leave, new allowances or improving allowances, and also obviously wage rises to keep up with the cost of how things, um, how much things cost and the like. So the idea of the logger claims is that union develops a logger claims to then provide to the employer in negotiations. Now, there's been a lot of hoo-ha about changes in workplace laws, and there's been definitely in a, uh, on paper a better bargaining position that unions could be used uh, in terms of going to industry-wide bargaining, also by default. What we mean is by actually going to industry-wide industrial action. But what we're seeing is unions not use that yet. So they've been given this power back to take this illegal act, or take legal action, but there's very few of it going on. So what we've got is when you, what you'd expect when a union puts up a log of claims, the usual pattern would be when the employer says, no, we're not going to do that, the union leadership would just go, okay, well, we're going to stick to our claim. That's the claim that members voted on that would go and put, and we're going to go back to the members and tell them what's happened. And then we're going to give them options as to what to do if they want to uh, want to fight or if they want not don't, don't want to do that. And what they do is, in terms of going back, is they provide lots of multiple ways for members to be involved and deciding what would happen next. Now, what we know from reports and the like, uh, the famous web webinars that have been going on across the CPSU, where members have not been provided with that opportunity to actually have discussions with each other about what they think of the government's offer. They've been basically applied with, oh, here's it is, here's the position, and you get to vote in a, a survey. Uh, you get to vote uh, in an a online poll as to whether or not you think it's good enough. And we're not even going to actually provide any guidance as to it being good enough or not, uh, completely reneging the fact that the union leadership is normally meant to go and stick with the claim stick with the logger claims until uh, you, you obviously want a result. Because at the end of the day, when a negotiated package of paying conditions go to a lot of, go to workers to vote on to become a new agreement, you measure your success on what your logger claims was. Now, if you're just going to jettison the logger claims and then turn around and say, oh, well, we're led by the, led by the members, the leadership there is negating their role which they've been employed to do, which is to go and represent the democratic decisions of the members. So they're not sticking to the guns of the claim. They're turning around and just saying, oh, well, actually, yeah, look, it's just up to you, while putting caveats, and we've seen this in ACT, Enterprise Bargaining, putting caveats on um, what would happen 
if workers decided to vote no. Um, not only that, deliberately, absolutely deliberately or neg negligently, not providing for resourcing of taking serious industrial action. So I've seen these emails where the union office will say, you can vote yes, and then we'll go to a ballot to accept the agreement. Or if you vote no, oh, here's the caveat, you have to be prepared to campaign. Now, it's not, a, it's really, well, not providing the actual options there, it's really just disingenuous. But I think the key thing for me is what's become very apparent, there is no intention to actually follow through on taking action. And I've seen this example with the CPSU recently, or its governing council, uh, a while back, it was supported, it was meant to be its peak decision body. The members at that governing council, their peak body, these are people that elected to um, influence its policy, voted to institute a strike fund to support APS-wide industrial campaign. That strike fund has not happened. And what does that mean? Why is it important? Well, if we look at the United Kingdom, we know that the unions that have been successful, and particularly uh, unions that represent lower income workers, they have basically developed strike funds so that when workers take industrial action, that they are provided with some a degree of support so they can continue the action. It's pretty obvious stuff. If you take strike action, you withdraw your labour. It also means you're not going to get paid. Now, the CPSU has lazily relied on the fact that normally it's wages, well, as wages used to be above the average, but increasingly over the last 10 years have become more and more squeezed and get below. It's relying basically that workers there will, um, if they do take an industrial action, it's not going to be such a big deal to take one day or two days. But the whole the whole point is, though, and what people have been saying for years, if you're serious about taking industrial action, apply pressure for the employer, particularly the government, you need to take more than one hour's off or even one day. It needs to be sustained and also needs to be resourced. But what we've seen is that union leadership over the last 10 years steadfastly refuse to actually resource a strike fund and steadfastly re uh, refuse, despite uh, the plans of its members, to actually institute industry-wide or agency-wide coordination of, act of its activities. An absolute betrayal of its membership is what we've been seeing. So what have they got instead? Right now in the Australian Public Service, in their negotiations, they're using the excuse of industry-wide negotiations to isolate agencies. They're isolating agencies from each other. They're isolating uh, members from each other. And they're isolating them in terms of basically it's, again, a continuation of what was wrong with the last round of industrial laws, where the employer would basically isolate individual agencies to fight it alone, and there was no coordination between agencies to actually use that um, industrial power that APS agencies have when they come together. If you have industrial action coordinated across customs, across immigration, across Services Australia, and across even across the policy uh, areas and the um, areas that actually deal with the public, you could massively disrupt the running and functions of the Australian state. However, what we see is the deliberate policy of isolating and keeping it minimal and keeping it ineffective and always not really serious, not serious at all. And I would say I don't think they've had any intention to fight in this uh, round of bargaining. So Officials do need to be pushed to actually change the situation. So there's a vote happening coming up in the CPS, uh, in the Enterprise Bargaining and the Federal Public Service. So members there have been um, asked <laughs> asked their position on this crap pay offer. And I'd encourage uh, members of that union to get out there and vote against that and also to organise 
And I think that's one of the things that we need to do generally in unions in Australia right now is to get more organisation going on to keep those account union officials accountable, but also make sure uh, that there are processes in place that union members have a real genuine say about determining what action and determining what will be done. So keeping them accountable, but also making sure that things can get done, build power to actually secure better wages and conditions and secure the social justice that we need. You need to do that by being active. So getting in contact with a delegate, get a, talk to your other members. If you don't have a delegate, find out who your other members are in your workplace. Get going on that. We've done other previous shows on Benno's Brief at Doll Capital. You can check that one out for some ideas as about how, how to organise. But another way to have a bit of a circuit breaker is use union elections. Union elections come up every couple of years. Fortunately, in Australia, uh, unions are required by law to have union elections every, uh, every set number of years. And those elections are run independently by the Australian Electoral Commission. What's really disappointing, though, however, about union elections, and particularly over a trend over the last 20 years or so, has been the absolutely pathetic turnout in union elections. Something like less than 15% of union members vote in union elections. Now, I'm not saying you need to have a vote just for the sake of it. There are times where people can be quite happy with what the leadership's doing, and no one will nominate. That's fine. That is totally fine. But we have seen the advent of basically a bunch of people controlling a trade union who do everything they can, that it's all locked in, they've got all the resources, and they do everything they can to do the barest minimum to um, to actually publicise, inform and educate members about their rights with elections. Uh, they do the barest minimum, and look at that. Oh, we won the election again, again, or uh, not even elected, elected unopposed, this sort of stuff. So there's been all sorts of games uh, in various unions over the years. But I think the game that's going on right now in the CPSU is one that needs to be challenged. They've got elections coming up in October. I would encourage APS people out there to join the, the CPSU and take part in the forums to pressure that leadership to do more for members. Don't just accept another pay cut. Yet again, another pay cut being posed by supposedly our most left-wing Labor government that we've had since Gough Whitlam. It's a joke. So get out there and organise and uh, join the CPSU and pressure that union office to do a lot more than what they're currently doing. But with the elections coming up in the CPSU, there is an opportunity to actually reply more pressure in another tangible way. There's an opportunity to shake things up with the CPSU. They've got elections to be held in late October and early November. Nominations are now open for its executive committee. There are six positions on its executive committee. That's like the national secretary, national president. For some reason, I think they've got like yeah, anyway, ridiculous number. I mean, six is a lot for for a, a union, but whatever. We'll pass that. It's a lot of very highly paid people um, doing the interesting things with union members' money. There's also uh, positions open for governing council and section secretary positions. They're peak positions where those people elected to governing council or section secretaries attend the very important governing council forum where nominally all the policies of the union are determined. Uh, unfortunately, they're actually getting the executive committee to carry that out, like uh, sticking to the plan for a four-day work week where I'm seemingly squeezing hours into a day as a four-day work weave to these clowns, which thank, uh, even then the uh, the government said no in bargaining. Uh, or we've seen an example of refusing to institute and uh, be serious about instituting a strike fund for industrial action. Those things haven't happened. So 
it really is uh, there for people who are elected those governing council positions. I know they've got a meeting coming up to make a lot of noise and ask a lot of questions and apply a lot of uh, apply pressure to that leadership body there, their executive committee normally runs the day-to-day affairs of the union and does seem to spend a lot of time trying to ensure that democracy doesn't happen in that union. But I digress there. It's also elections for section council positions. These are positions for various agencies grouped together around a part of the Australian Public Service or in telecommunications or in ACT government. They, in some areas, basically provide a pretty much a de facto delegate committee in the absence of decent delegate networks. So they are important um, and can provide a useful way to organise in, in that sort of setting. So if you're a member of the CPSU, and why not nominate for a position? You can find out that CPSU has put out emails to all its members about nominations and who it covers and what those positions are. You can find out pretty easily who, if there is any, actually anyone who's put their hand up for a position or currently in one. You can talk to them, find that out. But in many places, there's no one. And why not put your hand up and help strengthen rank and file organisation is what I'd encourage you to do. So nominations are open until I think it's the 28th of September. I might be wrong, but whatever. You can look that up. You've got an email. You can go and check that out if you're a member of the CPSU to do that. What I'd like to see, though, is a couple of things. There needs to be a challenge against this executive committee that's been running the CPSU. Pretty much uh, the same bunch of people going back many years to the early uh, 2000s, since 2003, really, it's the same bunch. Just the names and people have changed, but the same type of people have been running it. Normally run by a faction called Progressive Caucus. Those people need to go, and particularly the changes that have gone on in that union in the last 10 years have been a disgrace. The former National Secretary ran that union into the ground. Union members, staffers, spent over ten, five to 10 years from the Howard, in throwing days of the Howard government into the Rudd government, trying to coordinate and even um, saying no to substantive pay rises to get common expiries of the agreement so that it could take a coordinated national industrial action in 2013. There was no change of, unfortunately, there was a change of government to the coalition and Flood, who was the secretary at the time, the decision of that EC was to basically capitulate on the idea of a national industrial campaign in favour of basically leaving everyone out there to fight it alone. And what we've seen is the outcome that we've seen. Wages in the public sector and in the federal public service in particular have been squeezed over a period of 10 years and we've seen the the result there. In the lead up to that 2013 campaign, union membership was building and growing. Uh, I can remember seeing figures getting close to 59,000 people in 2013. And then over the last 10 years, that union has effectively lost 20,000 members down to just over 40-odd thousand members as of the end of uh, the reporting period of 2022 last year. Absolute disgrace what has been going on with that union. And in particular, uh, part of that decline has been more and more centralisation and decision-making being paid by uh, people who are directly appointed and paid by that executive leadership. Uh, along with basically cronies, mates, so to speak, who find themselves put in governing council positions or put on bargaining teams, who get to go to these 
uh, events where they get flown in and fed and housed and have a great old time and then actually don't actually do what they're meant to be doing, which is actually scrutinizing and putting pressure on being serious about transforming the workplace lives of their members, but also turning the union into a bit of a joke to the rest of the public service. Union density in the APS has gone so far backwards, I'm not sure. If there isn't a change in leadership, it'll be many, many years before we see a real change, let alone the idea that that union will continue to function with so few a number of members. It's like they've sort of turned around and given up on the policy areas, the cultural areas and the like in the ACT, just quite happy to just take the money from people in customs and immigration and services Australia, that's the Medibanks and the Centrelinks for you people out there, and take their money pay for their affiliation, and what do you know it? Oh, it's pre-selection time. I'm going to go and run for ACT member of the assembly, or, oh, we might go and have a crack at this spot. Oh, we get to go and sit in the executive committee of the ALP. What are you actually doing in terms of actually securing better wages and conditions for your members? And what we're seeing with the CPSU leadership has tangibly been, well, bugger all. So to see a change, I say to our CPSU members out there, and if you're not a member, if you've resigned in disgust, like so many have over the last 10 years, it's time to rejoin and give those mongrels a hard time. They're not getting doing what they're meant to be doing. Don't let them continue to stick on the union boss diet. They need to take a pay cut, and they need to actually get going with actually getting the outcomes for members in terms of coordination providing multiple opportunities for members to actually participate and have a say in the direction of their union and to make decisions about what actions they will take and to actually run a serious industrial campaign that is resource. And that's by collecting money to actually launch industrial action that will actually work. That means more than 10 minutes stand down or not answering emails. That means actually taking serious amounts of time to shut down the functions of the government. That's what needs to happen. But what we've got right now is a union leadership that is so determined to suck up to the federal PLP that it will actually let the PLP get away with forcing yet again another three years of wage cuts, real wage cuts to its workforce due to inflation being as high as it is and uh, the, the those pays on offer just not being up to uh, mustard, let alone me meeting meeting any of the claims of its members for changes and real, real serious changes for a better way to work. So just to wrap it up, join your union. Uh, if you're in the federal APS, join the CPSU. You need to shake that union up to actually get it doing more. And for those members who've got their um, addresses update, make sure your addresses are update. There will be an election, I reckon, at the end of this year in the CPSU. And all power to those who are actually going to challenge what's been going on in that disgraceful uh, organisation that's been uh, doing what it's been doing for such a time now. Up to 20,000 people gone in 10 years. Fantastic. That's great. That's something they can look very proudly on because, um, you know, they love bragging about being the biggest union in town in the ACT. It's a bit of a joke. So let's make the joke on them. That union's got to change. And also, let's make the joke back on, see the joke back on, go back on the uh, Federal Parliamentary Labor Party who have yet again turned around and treated ACT and nationally federal public servants. Let's not forget most public servants actually live you know, all around the country. They don't actually live in the ACT. Over, yeah, it's over 35% in the ACT. Most live in a state. So 
you know, a bit more respect for federal public servants who actually make sure so many important things, the glue of our society continues to function. So they deserve pay rises, just as way all workers deserve a wage rise in this country. So that little area is a case in point. And I'd say to people in other industries, it's really the same MO. Get involved, join, organise. If you're not happy with the direction of what, what your union's not been doing, and let's face it, so many of them have been doing very little, Use those opportunities, those elections that have to happen in every couple of years. Find some other people. What'll happen? I mean, you know, people say, well, what's the point of running? We're not going to win. I say, well, look, you know, you could actually find yourself winning because so few people actually bother to actually run and so few people actually vote. Um, so that's that's one thing that will change the direction. If you don't win those positions, well, it, it does actually apply pressure on those currently running the union to change their practices and their policies. And even if not, if, if they continue to refuse not to change their practices and policies, what you've done is you've helped um, create uh, and build networks of people across your workplaces or even around the country to build stronger rank and file organization. If they, by, by doing that, you've already achieved a victory in and of itself by creating more networks to actually do more. Also, um, I think in federally with the, the CPSU there, if there's a win by a reform ticket, it will certainly apply pressure to the PLP to actually take the CPSU and the members it represents seriously, because at the moment they absolutely don't. And it would actually show tangibly to APS workers, so many of them who are not members of the CPSU, the vast majority, that the, the union is serious, that there's a change of leadership that actually is going to be serious about resourcing, coordinating and providing a democratic voice to its members to challenge the federal parliamentary Labor government. So all power to those members of those unions. Get out and join yours. Be involved in it and do more. That's it for this episode. Keep an eye out on our Twitter and Facebook accounts at Dole Capital. That's D-O-H-K-P-I-T-A-L. You can subscribe to this podcast and become a Patreon at Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash Dole Capital. We are on Facebook and active on the Twitter handle. Uh, well, whatever it's called, X at, <laughs> at Dole Capital. You can send us an email at dohkapital at gmail.com. A couple of links for you to check out, which we'll provide. There's a fantastic article which you can look at. Australia's public sector union is in decline thanks to its labour-aligned leadership, which is the title of the article in the Jacobin magazine. So look that one up. And as I mentioned before, very interesting article in the Canberra Times today, which on the time of recording was the 11th of September. Other things, I mean, in black and white there, the Australian Bureau of Statistics, if you want to go have a depressing read of graphs, check out the wages price in <laughs> wage price, um, annual wage growth by sector is a very de depressing uh, read, particularly if you go from the start of these graphs in 2010 to where we are now, it's appalling and it really is an indictment on Australia's union movement to actually do more than third party political campaigning. So yeah, all power to workers in the workplace and I hope you're having a great time with whatever it is you're up to and thank you for taking the time to listen. Well, speak to you soon. Bye.